Seeking the Lord's blessing, let's turn together to the passage that we read in John's Gospel in chapter 19. And for a few moments, especially our thoughts are drawn to verse 17 of John chapter 19. Let's read these words again. John 19, verse 17. And he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Just by way of introduction, last evening, those of you who were here, Last Sunday, uh, yesterday evening, last night, just wanted to concentrate our thoughts over our services, especially reflecting around the cross. And it is, of course, timely for us to do so, and it is important for us to do that as we gather together in the manner that we gather today to remember the Lord's death until He comes again. It becomes the central focus of our attention today but it is actually the central focus of the attention of our entire life of faith. It is the central focus, of course, of the gospel. Everything in the gospel, everything in the Bible is leading us to the cross. And for us, it's the place of the deepest sense of our appreciation of what Christ has done for us. When we come to realize what he has done in our place, and in our room. When Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress portrayed Christian coming to the cross, he portrayed Christian there leaping three times for joy and singing praise. His heart was filled with joy. His soul was full of praise. And of course, we understand when we read Pilgrim's Progress that Bunyan is making some particular references to himself and what he felt when he came to the cross. Faith takes us to the cross and faith keeps us there. If we're endeavoring to have a vibrant Christian life, we need to stay close to this cross. We need to be always at the cross. It is so needy and necessary for our faith. We know in the language that we use today of well-being that we need to do things to take care of ourselves. We need to take care of ourselves physically. There are things that we should do and things that we should not do. We should eat well and exercise and rest and sleep and do all these things. We know in, in terms of our mental well-being too that there are safeguards we put in place and things that we do and things that we don't allow ourselves to do for our mental, physical well-being. But we need to take care, too, of our spiritual well-being because we face so many challenges and so many difficulties. And there are so many ways in which we ourselves are facing trials and temptations that draw us away from our Lord and that isn't beneficial for our spiritual well-being and our life of faith. But rather, instead of this, it is necessary for us to constantly be near the Lord, near 
Calvary. Because Calvary nourishes the soul. It brings joy, but it also maintains that spiritual well-being of the Christian. And when we stray from Calvary, we find ourselves in danger. But in the dangers and in the challenges and in the trials of life, here is the place we come to for mercy, for grace, for help, for spiritual vibrancy and true lasting joy. It is a timely reminder for us today and a great opportunity for us every time we come to partake of the Lord's Supper, to come and to survey this scene, to survey the wonder of this place, to consider what is going on. Isaac Watts wrote the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. You and I know what it is to survey something. Maybe some of you in your occupation may be involved in having surveys. You go there and you look and you examine and you take detailed information. You try and take in as much as you can into your senses. Try and understand what is going on. And that is what Isaac Watts is bidding us to do. To survey this scene. To try and take in as much as we possibly can. To give this information to our soul and our spiritual life. Let us just for a few moments here just now. Take Watts's counsel to come and survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And to see, first of all, to see there at Golgotha the abuse that he endured. What transpires here, we see in, as we read this chapter together, and particularly in verse 16 to verse 18, we, we have in verse 16, Pilate giving Jesus over to what was demanded. He delivered him over to them to be crucified. And then he, he endures that sentence of condemnation by Pilate. And he is delivered over and he is delivered over to that place of death. And in verse 17, he went out bearing his cross. The humiliation and the shame. Going outside the city. Outside the camp. There walking this way. Carrying this cross. The condemned man. Humiliated. Mocked. And derided. Abused by all around him. Taking the cross to this place in verse 18. They crucified him there between two others. There were two others there. They knew they ought to be there. They knew that they were condemned. They knew they were guilty. They knew that they had committed crimes deserving of crucifixion. And they crucified him there with them. The prophet says he was numbered with the transgressors. The gospel writers tell us 
He isn't just numbered. He is there in the middle. In verse 18, one on either side, Jesus between them. And even amongst this company of these notorious criminals, he is in the middle. He is front and center. He is there demonstrated to all around as the one whose crime is the greatest, whose crime is the worst, and who becomes the subject of the worst of abuse here in this place. They should be there, but he has done nothing wrong. They are worthy of abuse, of the mocking crowds on the highway walking past, of Jerusalem watching them go outside the city, but he has done nothing wrong. And then they add to his shame, where the dispute of his crime. In verse 19, Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now, this is a common thing for the Romans to do, to bring the crime and the sentence and to place it on the cross above the condemned criminal who was there dying on the cross. And Pilate here places the sentence. This is what I'm sentencing this man with. He is the king of the Jews. He is crucified for this crime. And then in verse 20, the Jews object. Even here at Golgotha, even here as our Savior is crucified, the power play amongst his enemies continues. It continues to do, it, they continue to demand more. Here are the Jews who have delivered him over to Pilate and demanded, crucify him, crucify him. And it says in verse 16 that Pilate delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is the sentence they wanted. This is everything they had worked towards. And now they want more. They're arguing the charge. They're arguing what Pilate is placing upon the cross. Upon what this man will be known for and sentenced for and die for. And they say to Pilate in verse 21, these chief priests and Jews who have abused Jesus so greatly and delivered him over for crucifixion, they say to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man said, I am the king of the Jews. But Pilate dismisses their claim. And finally, and far too late, he finds courage to stand up against them. What I have written, I have written. This is the charge. This is the crime. This is what Pilate places. But Pilate had compromised himself. He compromised his office. He compromised the entire Roman legal system. He gave in to the demands of the Jews and he compromised even the position of our Lord by making him the victim, the get out for Pilate. But he was the Prince of Glory. They plotted, they delivered, 
they demanded, and they brought all their plots to fruition. And it all came to fruition in this place called Golgotha. Their lives were filled with darkness, and they were ignorant of it. And even in the very act of crucifixion, they are having a petty squabble with Pilate. They had sinned against the Prince of Glory. They had sinned against the Lord. And they couldn't even realize it. As the greatest event in all of history unfolded. They are at the cross. But they cannot survey the scene by faith. They cannot see what is going on. But our Lord is at Golgotha. And all around him is this hostility and enmity. The fulfillment of all the abuse and all the plotting and all the evil. It continues to the very end. Even as he is on the cross still disputing. And as this is all going on. We find here too in verse 23. The soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, his garments. They divided them into four parts and his tunic. And in verse 24, let us not tear the tunic. Let us cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. Here are the soldiers. The little that Jesus had, the clothes on his back, a man who had nowhere to lay his head. And they take it off him. Strip him. And as he is there. In this act of his death. They make sport. And they themselves. Gamble over his clothes. They are the ones who had been mocking and ridiculing him throughout the whole process. In verse 2, the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Oh, the wonder of what is going on here. The wonder of what what said. See from his hand, his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? And his enemies are abusing him. Seeking to dehumanize him. Mar him beyond any man beyond human semblance. Let us see the cross. He is the victim of the abuse, front and center, all alone. And survey some more, friend. Look and see. There are friends here. Friends near but far. We considered uh, last evening, of how the Lord says after uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper, strike the shepherd uh, and the sheep will scatter. Uh, and so we see that immediately in his arrest, they start uh, to flee from him and they keep his dis- their distance uh, and they even deny him. But here, look at this scene, look at Golgotha. 
They've not gone completely. They're distant, but not too far away. In verse 25, we even see there how it's described for us. Standing by the cross. We're surveying the wondrous cross. And when we see standing by the cross are these women. So often in the gospel we find women at the feet of Jesus. In that place of devotion and love and commitment. At the feet of Jesus. But when I survey the wondrous cross, I see the woman at the feet of the cross. Standing there by the cross of Jesus. His mother. Watching him die. The picture here of those who are near, distant yet still devoted, but nobody is devoted like her. The devotion of a mother. John saw these things. He he speaks of himself as an eyewitness. He, He claims here, even as he speaks of the blood and the water falling coming out of him in verse 35, he said he saw these things. John was there too, as we find even in verse 26. The disciple there whom he loved, making reference there. We're surveying the scene and we're seeing who are all around. We see Mary, the mother of Jesus. We see these women with her heart and we see John here and others too. They are there with Jesus. They should have been closer. They should have drawn nearer. They shouldn't have been this distant. You know, it's love that draws us near to Jesus. It's fear that keeps us distant. But distance does not satisfy us. We want to be near. We want to be with the Lord. We want to come closer. We want to come closer today to take the bread, to take the wine, to remember his death. We want to come closer as we draw near to Golgotha. We want to see this scene. We want to see that wondrous cross where a prince of glory died, where our Savior was put to death for our sin. What says there, did ever such love and sorrow meet? Was there anything like this moment? Was there anything like this place in the love for his own? In verses 26 and 27, we have this tender moment of deepest devotion. Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Can you see here what he is doing? Caring for his mother. The sword is pushing her. Her heart is broken. He loved and obeyed and respected his mother. 
He was her son. She was there in John's gospel from the beginning, at the very first miracle. It was her request that instigated the miracle. They have no wine. He loved her. He cared for her. This was her son, but now he is her savior. The savior she needs. Such a beautiful and tender moment in the horror and the darkness of Golgotha. When I survey the wondrous cross, you see his tenderness, his love, his love for his mother, and his love for his people, for his church, for his bride. Though they try so often to keep themselves distant, though they try so often to hide themselves away, this is for them. The shepherd struck for the sheep. Never have we seen such love and sorrow meet. See, thirdly, friends, as we've considered here together, the abuse of the enemies as we survey the cross and the friends near, see, thirdly, that this is the Prince of Glory. To think clearly and accurately about who this is on the cross and what it is he is doing. This is for them, for his people, but this is for the Father. It's to fulfill the Father's will. It's to fulfill the just demands of righteousness. This is what God did. He gave his Son. He gave his Son for us, for our sin. He gave to us the Prince of Glory, the one who was the delight of heaven. He gave the Prince of Glory for us. This is what the Father has done and the Father has committed to and the Son fulfills here. What a wonder when we survey the wondrous cross of what we see when we pause at the paradox of Calvary, the wonder of this place, in the darkness and in the horror that we are seeing here the Prince of Glory, and in the wrath of God we see the love of God. You remember that, that Isaac Watts, he, he wrote that him really as his expounding of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There Paul is saying, to me the cross is everything. It is absolutely everything. It is a place of honor as it is a place of wrath. And it is a place of peace and joy to the soul. This is why we must come and see and think. To see here and survey the spectacle, the shame, the fulfillment of the divine will, the reality of the Son placed outside the camp. To see the Lamb that is slain. To see the horror of Golgotha and the hope of Calvary. To see here on this cross we must come to him to who he is and what he has done. And we must put the old man away. 
and the world away. At this cross, the world is crucified to me and me to it. The cross is everything. We are to come to this tree that was the cursed tree, where there is death in order to find life. We come to this tree, we come to survey this wondrous cross, and what do we see? The Prince of Glory died. Died. In verse 30. When he had received a sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The last breath. The fulfillment of all the demands. No one took his life from him. He gave it himself. Even here we see the great wonder of his sovereignty and his control. He is dismissing here. It is finished. He has submitted to the Father's will and he has proclaimed it is finished. The last breath. The Prince of Glory died on the cross. We're surveying the wondrous cross. But what do you see? Does faith give you clarity? Can you see this is your savior, your substitute? Or like others who were around the cross, do we just see another scene of death, another man put to death? Or can we see the uniqueness of who he is? Can we see that this is the prince of glory? Can we see that this is for our sin? Can we see that this is who and what we need? Faith is not an easy road. Jesus says it's narrow. It's hard. There are many challenges and obstacles, but we need to come to the cross. It is absolutely essential to stay close to this cross, to encourage our faith, to enliven our hope, to declare time and time again that there is nothing like the cross. I refer to Bunyan. In Pilgrim's Progress, he pictures Christian coming to the cross. And Bunyan says, so I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross or came up to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulchre where it fell in. And I saw it no more. The burden's gone. Then was Christian glad. And Bunyan goes on. And Christian gave three leaps of joy and went on to sing. Thus far I did come laden with my sin. Nor could aught ease the grief I was in. Till I came hither. What a place is this. Must here be the beginning of my bliss. Must hear the burden fall from off my back. Must hear the strings that bounded to me crack. Bless cross. 
blessed sepulchre. Blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. This is the place of Christian's bliss, of his joy, of his recognition of his Savior, the wondrous cross. He did this for me. Faith says he did this for me. Spare a moment. Spare a thought. Survey Golgotha. And say with Paul. The cross is my all in all. May the Lord bless us so. Let's pray together. Gracious and most holy God, we give thanks to you for your word and for what is described to us in the very word of life and laid out for us. And we bless and praise you for the great wonder of what our Saviour has done. Help us to draw near that cross, to survey what the Prince of Glory has done for us in our room and in our place. We bless and praise you for your mercy and your kindness. And we pray that you would forgive us our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's praise God again from Psalm 69. As we have it in, this is not the table of the free church. This is the Lord's table. And if you are in good standing in your own congregation, that you are welcome to come and to sit with us. We're singing together as we move to the table from Psalm 118 and from verse 15. And we'll sing together a few verses there as is our custom. In dwellings of the righteous is heard the melody of joy and health the Lord's right hand doth ever valiantly. The right hand of the mighty Lord exalted is on high. The right hand of the mighty Lord doth ever valiantly. I shall not die but live and shall the works of God discover. Let's sing these words together, the praise of God.